Yes. All right. Um, all right, so I know what you guys are thinking. Derek got a lot more handsome. I know. Yep. I know. Uh, I, I know, yeah. The first service, they didn't really laugh all that much, so I don't know. It's all right. Yeah. Um, no, I'm Alex. I'm one of the elders here. Um, and yeah, so every now and again, I get to come up here and then bring us through God's word. So um, today, I have that privilege. Um, and the good news is, we're going to answer one question. The bad news is, I'm going to take about 30 minutes to do that. So um, this is a question that I, I struggled with kind of early on in my faith of um, just not really finding a great answer to it, um, not understanding it. And um, a couple weeks ago, Paul answered the question, why do we come to church? And I want to go kind of one level under that and ask, why does the church even exist? Why are we here? And that is, why did God not just take us straight up into heaven when we came to faith in him? Why did God choose to leave us here in a broken world after we came to faith? Um, yeah, we, we, can, we can have fellowship in heaven. We can worship in heaven even better than we can do so here. We can do that without brokenness. And yet God chose, after we came to know him, to leave us here. And there is one thing that we cannot do in heaven, and that is we cannot bring light into the darkness. There's no one in heaven who doesn't know Jesus and have faith in him. So, so actually, I'm going to answer the question up front, but then I'm going to take 30 minutes to build on to it. Um, so the first point in, in, your, in your handout is you are here because God wants to use you to reach the lost. And we're going to see Jesus give us this answer in the book of Acts today. So if you read with me, we'll be in Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Father, we thank you um, just for the opportunity to come together this morning and to be in your word, to be in worship, to be in fellowship. God, I pray that um, you would be the one who is speaking this morning, God, and that um, you would just use all of us to carry out your mission here on this earth, Lord. 
we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the book of Acts was written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Um, and this is kind of the, the second part in the series. In the first part, he went through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And in this next part, he's going to go through the working of the Holy Spirit through the disciples. In fact, throughout the book of Acts, there's about 56 references to the Holy Spirit working. Um, and you see some overlap between the two. In the end of Luke, it's... Um, the last chapter is Jesus' resurrection and talking with the disciples and then his ascension. And then in the book of Acts, he starts with that, that same story. He comes back to that um, ascension into heaven. So uh, I'm just going to start real quick looking back at Luke 24, 50 to 53. This will be on the screen for you. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And so you see that same story coming back. It's, it's kind of like when you, you're watching a show and it's saying like previously on, you know, they, they want to anchor what you're about to see in something that has already happened. And so Luke here is anchoring the rest of the book of Acts and what Jesus did. And so he's referring people back to that so that we understand Nothing in the book of Acts is going to make sense if you don't first understand who Jesus is and what he has done. And so we're going to focus today on this story, this overlapping story, and see what Jesus has to tell us in there. So in Acts 1, 1 to 3, it says, In the first book, O Theophilus, that's referring back to Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So we're getting a little bit more detail, too, on what happened in this time um, after Jesus' resurrection and before he ascended into heaven. He was speaking to them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. This was the focus of his message to them during these, this time before he ascended. And we talk about the kingdom of God here at Common Ground a lot. Our mission statement is to expand the kingdom of God in our lives and in the world around us. So we, we have a large focus on at this church on the kingdom of God. And I want to define that real quick. So the kingdom of God is wherever God's purposes are being carried out in and through his people. We sang a song earlier, When God is on the Move, and we talked about when somebody tells the truth that sends, sets men free, when somebody stands upon the word, God is on the move. That's God's kingdom expanding. That, that's what that song is about. It's his, his kingdom expanding into the world. And he works through his people. It is where God is at work through his people. So if you're serving God, you are working in the kingdom of God at that time. You are acting as an ambassador for the kingdom of God, bringing God's kingdom of light into the kingdom of darkness. And a great analogy about this happened just recently with uh, North Korea. It was kind of on again, off again thing we got going with them here. But uh, the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, went to North Korea a few weeks ago, and he came back 
with three US citizens who were being held prisoner there. He went there as an ambassador, as a representative of the United States. He went there with authority that had been invested in him by the President of the United States. Um, now, he was able to do that because of that authority. If he had just gone there and didn't have that authority, he'd probably be a fourth US citizen being detained in North Korea right now. Um, if he had gone there and just kind of acted flippantly, shown up to the meetings late, not really cared a whole lot about what was going on there, just kind of, oh yeah, there's some prisoners here. Um, if we could figure this out, that'd be great. If not, you know, whatever. Yeah, that wouldn't have gone well either. And that would have reflected poorly not on Mike Pompeo. That would have reflect, reflected poorly on the United States. His actions would have tarnished the reputation of the United States. And it's the same for us. We act as ambassadors of God's kingdom in this world. And Jesus is telling us about the kingdom of God in here and telling us how we bring it in. And this means, and this is your next point, an outsider's first look into God's kingdom is through his people. Now think about that. Does your life reflect the kingdom of God? When somebody looks at you and interacts with you and has a conversation with you, are they seeing the kingdom of God? Or are they just seeing you? Are you being a good representative? And this is a challenge to, to myself as well as we think about this. And in verse 4, Luke writes, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, Mike Pompeo, he had gone with the authority of the president, right? He had been given that authority by the president. And uh, I looked up the, the definition here of the Secretary of State. And according to state.gov, it says, the Secretary of State appointed by the president with the advice and consent of the Senate is the president's chief foreign affairs advisor. The secretary carries out the president's foreign policies through the State Department and the Foreign Service of the United States. So all of the foreign affairs of the United States are kind of laid on top of the Secretary of State, right? Um, he's supposed to execute those policies, and he was invested with authority by the president to do so. We, on the other hand, we have been invested with that authority because we have been given the Holy Spirit. We have God within us. God himself is in us to give us that authority, and we go out into the world with that authority. And there are three very important aspects of this. The first one, pretty simple. If, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus and you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you can't be a representative, right? You can't be an ambassador for a place you're not a citizen of. That one's pretty simple. But then point two, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, if you are walking with him, if you have his Holy Spirit in you, then you get to do this knowing that it's really God's power working in you. You get to do this knowing that God is the one that's going to execute and that you have that authority to bring this message into the world. And that's got a bit of freedom in it, too, because that means, so like when Mike Pompeo had gone to North Korea, if he had been just rejected by Kim Jong-un, they weren't rejecting Mike Pompeo. 
they were rejecting the United States. For us, if, if, we, if our message is rejected, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting God. They're rejecting God's message in that moment. And then point three, um, the last point on this, it, and it may sting a little bit, is if you aren't walking by the Holy Spirit, then you don't really have that authority. If, if you are walking out of line with the Word of God, then you need to do a real self-check before you act as a witness in the world. That again goes back to if, if Mike had gone there and just acted flippantly like I had talked about, that would not have reflected well. And if we are the first thing people see about the kingdom of God, we've got to be sure that we are reflecting God's kingdom well. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Do you love God's word? Do people see your love for God's word when you go into the world? We went through our DNA series. This is the last week in our DNA series. We're calling it Go Time today. And we went through it in a specific order for a reason. We started with God time. Because all the rest of the weeks rely on that. If, if your God time is off, your gathering and church time is off. If your God time is off, your gathering and group time is off. If your God time is off, your witness to the world, your go time is off. All of that is based on the foundation of your relationship with God. And then looking at it the other way, if any one of those areas is off, you don't, you don't try to just fix go time. You don't try to just fix gather time. You fix your God time. You fix that relationship with God and the others will follow. Verse six, Luke writes, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So these are Jesus' final words to the disciples before he goes into heaven. Um, these, these are kind of like, it's like when I leave for work in the morning, and I tell the kids, you know, like, hey, let's make sure that we listen to mommy today. Let's make sure we have good attitudes. We're big helpers. You know, I say it with some emphasis, and I, I say it as that kind of last thing, because that that's tends to be what sticks in the mind are those last words. And so I kind of use that and, well, I get like 15% success versus like 10. <laughs> but um, but you, these final words carry some weight, right? They, they stick with us. And so these final instructions come in response to, Jesus, to the disciples asking Jesus, hey, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Like, is this it? Are we going to do this? And, and Jesus' response back was, you're going to receive power and you will be my witnesses. He takes this question that they gave him and he flips it right back around on them and says, yeah, I am going to do that through you. And so God, God's plan is to use his people to expand his kingdom, which leads to our next note. It's, we are God's plan A and there is no plan B. 
If you've been going here for a while, you're probably getting tired of hearing that. We, we say it a lot here, but it, it's with reason. We want people to, we want, I want myself to understand, like, I am God's plan to reach this world. We are God's plan to reach this world. You know, we have this desire to see, to see light shine into darkness. We have this desire to see people come to a saving faith in Jesus. And we have that because God's in us. And that's his desire. And so we act on that. And sometimes, though, right, we feel kind of discouraged. We feel like we're maybe not strong enough or smart enough or, or we can't talk very well or, or something like that. And, but he says he's going to be with us. And I want to point to, in Acts 4.13, Peter and John are in front of um, the leaders of the Jewish people, and they're being questioned, and the leader's impression of them is really striking. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I love reading that impression that they come away with because I hear uneducated common men and I go, yes, that's me. Like, I, all right, I got a shot, you know. Uh, um, but you see the end of it and it says they recognized that they were Jesus. That's what really stood out. They knew who these men were because they had been with Jesus and they had that boldness. They had just, the Holy Spirit had just saved a few thousand people through them through these uneducated common men. And so we see God working through them. Now, we don't take this to mean that we don't, we don't study, we don't dive into God's word. You know, if we have a heart for, for the poor in the area, we study poverty. We understand the roots of it. If we have a heart for apologetics, then we study it and, and we understand it and we act on that. You know, it's, a, it's an active thing. Uh, for example, like, I work with somebody right now who is a Mormon, and I'm great friends with him. Um, and we've had amazing conversations. And I've got this book um, on Mormonism that I've been wanting to refresh myself on, and I kind of slowly get through it. But I don't, I'm not like waiting till I finish the book and I completely understand everything about Mormonism before I start having these conversations with him. I trust that God knows his heart better than I do. And I start these conversations. I ask him about what he believes, and I tell him what I believe. Um, and I'm bold about that and up front. Um, and so that kind of that leads into our next note, which is we are called to actively engage the world rather than passively walk through it. Going back to that initial question, if this was a passive walk, we should have just gone to heaven. <laughs> if, if we're just going to passively walk through this world and not make an impact, why are we here? This is an active faith. And so on a little side note here, this is kind of sermon in a sermon. What, what's your initial reaction when you see a couple guys in suits walking down the street carrying a book? You know, what, what's your kind of first thought? Lock the doors. Yep. <laughs> okay. Lock the doors, turn off the lights, pretend no one's home. So I want to kind of challenge us on this. You have somebody coming to your door wanting to have a spiritual conversation. Like, you don't even need to initiate this thing. Like, this is going to happen. Invite them in. 
have a conversation. It takes a few minutes. Don't, don't be rude and offer them coffee and beer or anything like that, but, but invite them in and have that conversation. I, I've had great conversations with people for just a few minutes. You know, I took a few minutes out of my day and had an amazing conversation. Um, so that, that, that's just kind of a little side note. Also, I need to be careful my beard doesn't rub on the microphone, so sorry about that. Um, so back in Acts, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. And he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the world. Now, it did not reach the end of the world, the ends of the world before they died. And so I think we can safely assume that he's talking to everyone here. This is written down in the book of Acts because we have this responsibility today too. Um, as we have kind of co-opted the Southern language here and say y'all all the time now, um, all y'all, all y'all, that's right, got re corrected last week. Um, he's saying all y'all need to, need to tell the world about me. So you and I, this is your next note, you and I have the privilege and responsibility of sharing the story of Jesus. I should put all y'all in that note. That would have been better. So let's get a bit more practical now, right? Because sharing our faith can be a difficult thing. It, it's awkward. It's, um, it can be, feel kind of embarrassing, a little stressful. So I just want to simplify it. He, he tells them to be witnesses. Now, what does a witness do? Do they do witnessing? They don't do witnessing. They just are witnesses. If somebody's up on the witness stand in court, nobody points to him and go, man, they're doing some good witnessing right now. You know, th that's just not in the vocabulary. It's, that's who they are. And all they're doing is telling a story. They're telling what they've seen. They're telling what they've experienced. If you know Jesus, you have a story. You have a story that started before you knew Jesus, a story of when you came to know Jesus, and now these, the story is what has Jesus done in your life? You have that story to tell. So to just kind of simplify this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share my story. It, it's, um, and actually, before I share it, one other point I want to bring into that is the best tool you have in, in being a witness is how big your view of God is. Because if God to you is just kind of small, you, you meet with him on Sundays and he's not a big part of your life, your story is really boring. And people are going to see it. They're going to see that you're not honest. But when you have this view of God that is, is huge and all-encompassing and takes over your life, that is a story. That is something to get excited about. That's something to share with people. So um, for, me, for me growing up, I grew up um, in a home where my mom took us to church, me and my brother. Uh, it was an evangelical Lutheran church, and I don't know, we didn't really care a whole lot, me and my brother. We went. I went because there was a cute girl I liked. Um, true story, there really was. Um, and um, I didn't really, I, I, as I grew older, I kind of moved away from it. I had a very postmodern kind of mindset. Um, just whatever you're doing is great for you, and I'll do my thing, and we'll all just be good. Um, and then I had a friend around the time when I was 18 who 
God just to totally placed him in my life. Um, and, and he started to challenge me on some of my views. You know, I, I told him my, my postmodern view, and he said, well, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's like, well, that's really exclusive. Like, that doesn't fit my postmodern view. Um, and so he, he just kind of kept challenging me, and he kept asking me questions and kept pointing me to Scripture. And, <laughs> and I remember one night um, we were going through... I had some tough questions I was dealing with, and, and um, I barely even remember what the questions were at this point, but, but he took me to Scripture, and he answered some of those through Scripture. And then I remember just at one point, all of a sudden, it was like, I mean, the Bible talks about the veil coming off, and that's exactly what it was. All of a sudden, it was like, this is true. Like, like this is a truth. This, this word is truth. And that night I, I, <laughs> I'm not an overly emotional guy and I just broke down crying um, because I all of a sudden realized how bad I needed Jesus um, and since then he's he just keeps working in me um, I like I, I didn't have any goals I didn't have any dreams I didn't have any like long-term vision or anything and and now I'm married with three kids and have a bachelor's in electrical engineering and, and I, all of this stuff. And I, and I talk to people at work about Jesus, you know, and it's like, I, I never would have seen myself doing that 10 years ago. Like, there's just no way, um, or I guess 12 years ago now, man. Um, but, um, but he's just, I, I can't imagine living this life I'm living now without Jesus walking with me through that because I had, I had zero goals. And then all of a sudden I realized my decisions have eternal implications. And um, so, uh, so the, the reason I share that, though, is you have a story, too. And that's all you need to share. There's times for, for debates and arguments and all that stuff, but that, that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying, just tell your story. Be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within you. I do want to draw out one thing in that story. All that time that uh, my friend was, was challenging me on all this stuff, you'll notice I never talked about church. I, I was not going to church at that time. I was not saved on a Sunday. I was saved because this friend of mine witnessing, or being a witness was just weaved into his life. It, it was just a part of what he did. And he did that on weekdays. He did that on weeknights. He built a relationship with me, and he challenged me. He spoke truth to me. And I was saved, and it wasn't even a Sunday. So just keep that in mind that, you know, inviting people to church is a good thing. I'm not saying don't invite people to church, but don't stop there. Don't stop there. Build relationships. Have those conversations. Verse 10 says, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. <laughs> These last two verses are awesome. And they make me laugh every time. So there's this, the disciples standing there, right? And Jesus is going up on a cloud into heaven, and they're just standing there like, what, what is going on here? 
And then all of a sudden, they hear this voice from these angels standing next to him saying, hey, men of Galilee, what you doing? You know, you can just imagine them stand, standing there and be like, what? You know, like, all of a sudden, there's these two guys here, right? And they offer them this challenge. They say, why are you standing here staring? He just gave you a mission. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, across cultural borders to the ends of the earth. And then he says, he's going to be coming back the same way he went up. Now imagine the urgency you feel after hearing that, right? He's coming back, and this world needs to hear this story, and we are the tools he's going to use to do that. And unfortunately, they didn't just hang out there. Um, they went. They went on mission. They acted as witnesses to the world. And your next point is, there are hundreds of saints in your spiritual lineage who took up the command to be Jesus' witnesses, and God used them to bring you here today. This was not a suggestion that Jesus gave them in these verses. This is not a suggestion that he gives us. This is a command. We are called to act on it. Barna Group just ran a survey. Um, it's actually a repeat of a survey they did 25 years ago, 1993. And they were asking questions related to evangelism. And the biggest area of divergence was when Christians were asked if they agreed, were neutral with, or disagreed with the statement Every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. In 1993, 89% of Christians agreed with that statement. Today, 64% agree with that statement. That is a 25% drop. That is 36% of Christians don't even think they need to be a witness. That's astounding. If you look at the Great Commission and you read this first chapter in Acts, it's, there's no question. We have this task. That is why we are here. And the next question that uh, had the most divergence was asking Christians how they share their beliefs. In 1993, the most common answer was to share about the changes and benefits of accepting Jesus. That's called being a witness, right? Today, the two most popular methods are to ask questions about the individual's beliefs and then tell about yours, which not inherently bad, so long as you actually do follow that up and boldly share your faith. But the second one was to share it by the way you live rather than speak about it. That is not being a witness. And to say it very plainly, it's not biblical. Should we live it? Absolutely. You need to live it. But it can't stop there. Romans 10, 14 through 17 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Where nothing is said, nothing is heard, and faith comes by hearing. We must speak truth. 
Now I asked that one question in the beginning. Why does the church exist? Why did God not just take us straight up into heaven? And we see Jesus explain, it's because there's light that needs to be shown into this darkness and we are the tools he's going to use to do this. And we have, we have many ways you can do this. You, know, you can do this by volunteering in your child's classroom, by volunteering to coach a sports team. You can do this by volunteering with, with the Dream Center, who we partner with a lot. That's a great way to, to fulfill the command in James 1.27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's an active faith James is talking about. That's a faith that reaches down into the messiness of the world to bring hope. You can do this by, by going to Burkina Faso next year, by volunteering to even just pray with them, as Zach was talking about. We have a missions trip to Costa Rica that we're setting up. These are all opportunities we have to act out this command. Now, if you feel like you're stuck, you don't know how, you don't know how to start this, you, you've never really done it before, it feels uncomfortable, talk to me, talk to Derek, talk to Paul. We want to help you in this. This is a command, and we want to live this out as the body of Christ. So with that, Derek is actually going to share um, a new little challenge that we have. Rock on. Thanks, Alex. Um, so thank you, Morgan. Um, so this is the last week in our DNA series, and this series has really been all about the DNA of a Jesus follower. The DNA, you know, as we are one family, as we are adopted into God's family, what do we look like? How do we behave? And so we, we looked at the beginning of this series, you know, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So as Christians, as Jesus followers, we're called to an abundant life. We're not called to religion. We're not called to duty. We're not called to dogmatism. We're called to an abundant life. Um, and we saw that the goal of that life is to be like Jesus, it's written that, that he chose us to become like his son. And so to have that abundant life, to see God glorified, to do all he has for us, we looked at Jesus. If we're supposed to be like Jesus, what does Jesus look like? And we saw through this series that he prioritized three relationships. His relationship with the Father, his relationship with the church or, or his disciples at that time, and his relationship with the world around us. Um, and if you've been coming to Common Ground very long, you realize we are not interested in religion. <laughs> we are not interested in being a big church. We are interested in life change. So you got one of these magnets the first week. If you weren't here or you didn't, they're on the info table. These are our values. Grab these. We are interested in seeing God move. Uh, that's why we're going to be planting a church in Minden, to increase our missional footprint, because God is moving. But if God is moving, that means our lives are changing. It means we're becoming like Jesus. It means we are sharing our faith. And so as we looked at these three relationships that Jesus prioritized, and we talked about how our relationships formed, time, always time. It takes time to form relationships. And so we've looked at four different areas of time that we can spend our time, that we can focus on to become like Jesus, to be faithful in our walk. And the first one is God time. Um, and Alex started with that. That's our most important time. Time spent daily alone with the Father. Jesus prioritized it. And if you think God in flesh needed time with the Father, you and I need time with the Father. So that's, that's where it starts. The second one we looked at was gather time. What we're doing right here, this gathering to worship, this is commanded in Scripture. This is valuable for us to worship together. We gather because of Him. So we prioritize gather time weekly. And then the third one was group time. 
here at Common Ground, we don't have a lot of programs because life change happens best in community around the word, authentic community in real relationships, letting the word speak to us. And so we emphasize groups weekly. Now, the unfortunate aspect of this series right now is groups are finishing last week. And so our groups are done until the fall, which is great because it gives leaders a, a break, it gives hosts a break, but it gives us an opportunity to connect with each other in different ways. So we continue the connection through the summer. And then today, go time. That is time spent intentionally going, taking the gospel to the lost. And that can look like, as Alex said, going on a missions trip. It could be volunteering regularly in some capacity that is not just serving, but has the opportunity to bring the word, like he said. So uh, the, uh, the Dream Center is one of those that we partner with, and it's partnering, serving those less fortunate, but also taking the gospel. You can do it by volunteering, as he said, with you know, coaching a team, whatever it is. It's building relationships with those who don't know Jesus yet on purpose, on your calendar, not because they're a project, but because you love God and he wants to love them through you. And so you love them also. Now, if you're like me, in order for something to happen, you need to put on your calendar and set at least two alerts or you're going to forget about it. That's why we're emphasizing this go time. And that's why we're emphasizing this, this challenge. So here's our challenge. It's in uh, the clipboard in front of you. Grab that, pull it out. Hold, everybody hold it up. Come on. <laughs> Thank you, Timothy. Here it is. Grab this challenge. This is a challenge. Again, this is our way of putting this into a bite-sized chunk. How can we live out a faithful life of a Jesus follower that glorifies him, molds us into his image, and carries out the mission? And here it is. The commitment is the 5% life. So this is a waking time. So you're awake, I don't know, I'm awake, what, 10 hours a day? Something like that. So however many hours you're awake in a day, that's how this is measured. I think it's more than that, 12. It's more than that. I sleep, I sleep a lot. Um, but, but here's the 5% challenge. What if you gave only 5% of your time to, to these relationships? The first one, 1%. 1% of your day spent on God time. That works out to about 15 minutes. 1% of your day. 1% weekly spent on gather time. That's coming here on Sunday, which next week at 9.30. 1% monthly spent on group time. That's gathering in relationships around the word with others in your church. And then here's the, third, or the fourth one, which we talked about today. 2% of your year spent on go time. That works out to about seven days. So think about in your year, what if you spent seven days intentionally going? Now, you are supposed to go where you live, work, and play. I mean, we're always a witness, as Alex said. But how about seven days where we do it on purpose, where we, we put it on our calendar, whether that's a missions trip, whether that's volunteering a day a week or a day a month somewhere, but intentionally doing something. Maybe that's at school, uh, volunteering with your kids' teachers, whatever that is. Put that on your calendar. So this is the commitment. And, and we don't, this doesn't benefit Common Ground. This benefits you and what God has to do in and through you. And so here's this commitment card. If you are willing to make this commitment between you and God, write your name on the bottom, and as we take communion, come up and put it in these boxes provided. This is really just between you and God. It's not like we're gonna pull them out and count them and then call you if you didn't put your name on there, um, but we might. But this is between you and God. It really is because, again, growth happens between you and God. Only he can change a life. So we're gonna transition into our time of response. And this is the time where you can put your name on this card and bring it up. This is your time to take the Lord's Supper. 
This is your time to pray. This is your time to respond in worship however God has called you to respond. I'm going to read what Paul wrote about, uh, about the Lord's Supper because all of this that we're talking about all stems from what Jesus did for us. Today's Memorial Day, or this weekend is Memorial Day weekend. We are celebrating the freedom we have, but what we do in the church, and this is why we take communion every two weeks, is to celebrate what Jesus did for us, because none of this abundant life, none of this would be possible without what Jesus did for us. So let me read. 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we are proclaiming his death until he comes. As Alex said, as they were looking on into the sky, the angel said, he's coming back the same way he went. So we take the Lord's Supper remembering Jesus. We never want to forget until he comes back, and he's coming back soon. Now, the Lord's Supper is for those who believe. This is for those who have by faith accepted Jesus as Lord. If that's not you, then I'm going to be in the back available to pray. Come pray with me. Give your life to Jesus. Then come take the Lord's Supper. Um, If you have unconfessed sin in your life, take a minute. Confess that sin. You do not want to take the Lord's Supper without giving your sin to Jesus. But if you are right with God in this moment, enjoy the Lord's Supper. Uh, Come down one of these aisles, take the bread, take the cup, pray with a loved one, pray by yourself, come back and pray with me. Um, But worship in the way you feel led. Just a reminder too, we still have our prayer tables up here. You can come up here, you can write a prayer down, roll it up and stick it in the chicken wire prayer walls. Let's worship. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we are so grateful uh, that your word is...